Welcome to the Visceral Voice Podcast. I'm your host, Christine Schneider. Through this podcast, I aim to bring you the most current, up-to-date research on voice science, function, pain science, movement, and everything in between. I am on a quest to learn everything I can about the living, breathing body and its intricate connection to the voice. This podcast documents the continuation of my learning and my experience as a professional singer, a nutritional consultant, a movement specialist, and a manual therapist. Join us as we strive to provide current, knowledgeable, creative, and compassionate information to help you restore, regain, and create happiness and success on your vocal journey. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. On today's episode, I have a conversation with Ron Preska. Ron has a strong interest in myokinematics and biomechanical influences on postural and peripheral adaptation patterns. His 40-plus years of clinical experience assists him with direct patient interventions based on specific examination and evaluation data that best reflects neuromechanical stability, trunk symmetry, and respiratory balance. He lectures extensively and consults regularly with physicians, physical therapists, optometrists, dentists, and other healthcare providers across the United States and internationally on patterned postural position and pathology and his approach of restoring symmetrical balance using PRI principles. He is a graduate of the University of Nebraska Medical Center Division of Physical Therapy. Ron is the founder of the Postural Restoration Institute, where he continues to teach multiple courses a year to healthcare and fitness professionals across the country and internationally. He currently consults at the Resca Clinic, the Restorative Physical Therapy Services, and Whole Orthodontics in Lincoln, Nebraska. In addition, Ron serves as a biomechanical consultant to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln through the Division of Athletic Medicine. I am so thrilled to have had this conversation with Ron. I got to, I mean, we just dove into topics that I really love talking about and to talk to someone who is so proficient in these topics was really exhilarating for me. It's, I mean, I've had a handful of like really favorite conversations and this was definitely at the top of them. I was so thrilled and stoked and I I just felt like this sponge as I soaked up information and had so much confirmation on things that I've found clinically and things that I have been working on. And so to have met Ron in the last year or two and to have been able to study with him and then to be able to have this conversation and really dive into topics that I'm interested in and I really think are incredibly beneficial for the professional voice users, this conversation just meant so much to me. So I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Ron Preska, founder of the Postural Restoration Institute. Hi, Ron. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you for inviting me. 
Yeah, thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to have you here as the founder of Postural Restoration Institute and obviously a mentor to so many of us massage therapists, physical therapists, speech therapists, kind of all other. <laughs> uh, we're just so grateful for the work that you've done, the time that you've put in, the leadership that you've given in the field. So thank you so, so much for all of your incredible work. Um, I'd love to start with kind of discussing your journey. How did you get into your work and then your desire to start something that became so grand as the Postural Restoration Institute? You know, Kristen, it's a, it's a good question and I get, I get asked that a lot. And I really don't have a, an elevator speech. Uh, in my heart, I think it was a little bit of uh, luck if you want to know the truth, but also I believe strongly in the fact that it was, you know, I was being guided by some, some, some other sources that, um, you know, we don't yet fully understand in our life. Mm-hmm. But to be honest with you, it started with uh, the fact that I came from a large family and I was around a lot of activity that, that uh, had patterns, uh, whether it was a piece of machinery, a human being, uh, you know, I was big into Schuster and Simon's books on how things work. Uh, you know, patterns are kind of an important thing. And uh, patterns are completely something that I began to see, completely began to see, even in my early days as a pre-dentist student. And then I looked into this world of dentistry and I saw people with certain wear and tear patterns on their teeth. And they were pretty consistent with how their teeth were intorted or extorted or the, 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 the mouth was formed. And so I, I knew there was a bigger picture. I knew that from, uh, you know, those first few years in dentistry. And then I start off thinking, what am I going to do with this? And I ended up thinking, well, there isn't a profession out there that I know of. The one that I wanted to go to was in an osteopathic school in Des Moines, and I didn't have the money to go there, thank God. Uh, so I went into PT school and I, I was, uh, I was disappointed but yet I was so grateful. I was so grateful that I got into that program right away. And after a few years of getting my degree in PT, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. I went into, got my degree in public administration because I like the way things work. I like administration. And like you said, leadership is important to me. I'm the oldest of 13 kids. And so I know what that means in life when you got a lot of, uh, you know, you got a lot of havoc and confusion. Mm-hmm. So I really start off with a, a life full of need to determine, you know, how to get, how to make things work and how to keep things working. That was, it was before I even was interested in a bicep femoris or a diaphragm muscle. And then to speed things up, I got into this, uh, got into this uh, program in Omaha called the VA Medical Center and worked with people who had lots of amputees or amputations learned that these patterns that I was seeing in both the pre-dental program that I was in and and even as a student PT school, I learned that these patterns exist and they come out strong when, you know, you have to adapt, you have to start to compensate. And uh, I worked there for about six years and uh, was, became the director of a PTOT speech therapy uh, department at a local hospital here in Lincoln, Nebraska. And uh, realized that, you know, you know, curvature of the spine, torticollis of the neck, uh, rib cage dysfunction, pelvic floor dysfunction, and 
the glorious patellofemoral pain patient, which seemed to be existing everywhere back in the 80s, uh, all had those same patterns I was seeing earlier on in my life. Mm-hmm. And at that point, Christine, there isn't a lot of uh, reading material uh, anywhere in any interdisciplinary uh, source that you go to that talks about asymmetry or dissymmetry. Mm-hmm. And that's really what catapulted my need to to get to with people who do appreciate those patterns and those positions of the human being. You know, we're, uh, we're all built the same way. We may have, you have hair, I don't. Uh, but we all are built the same way. We just have different parents. We've selected different parents. And the, the, the genetics and the DNA and the culture or the environment we're in all can have an impact on how we grow and develop. But to be honest with you, we're all growing and developing if the world was an even place with one thing in common, and that is gas and gravity. And the gravitational influences that we have on our body are different because you have two of them. As I mentioned earlier, you have two bodies. You have a left one and you have a right one. And so I was really hooked to the fact that this word biology, I, have a, you know, I, I love zoology and I love biology. Biology is the, the science of two. And so this is really an institute that looks at the integrated, interdisciplinary biology of the human being. Two, two sciences. You have a left brain and a right brain. And that's how it all started. And uh, the Institute allowed me, gave me a platform to teach way back in the, you know, you know, 80s and 90s to people who I think were sort of in the same boat, one and more. And uh, we started off small and today we're doing really well because those people are uh, getting uh results that they couldn't get by looking at the body as being a unicellular cellular animal. It's not. And that's a quick breakdown of it, but it was a slow, it's been a slow journey. Anything worthwhile is worth uh, patience. And I've been really patient with that. And uh, along the way, I've met some terrific people. I'm humbled by it. And my, the, my experience that I've had with the outcomes of patients that I work with has given me more in my life than I'll ever get in any other. I mean, in my mind, I mean, it's just, uh, it's been wonderful. So I hope that, I hope that answered that question. Yes, absolutely. Uh, So you've mentioned these kind of asymmetries and before we kind of go to the out or external or outer asymmetries, I want to talk about the internal asymmetries because we have these innate internal asymmetries that help us contain or remain in balance. Yeah. Um, so what are some of these asymmetries for the listeners? And I, you know, I may, I, I, I may venture off too much. So you got to pull me back in. Asymmetry uh, is, an, is, is both an introceptive and an extraceptive experience. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, uh, 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 it's a discussion that a lot of people have a tough time wrapping their head around because when you see a bridge that's tilting to one side, you get it, you know, it needs more support. It needs more structural, you know, uh, act, you know, structural foundation, whatever it may need to keep it upright and balanced. Our bodies are somewhat like that, but to a much greater degree, our body is driven off of this, uh, this uh, synaptic activity, this, this uh, cortical function, the cerebral relationships with what we like and don't like with our limbic system. And so when you look at the neurology behind all this, how we sound and how we sense 
ourselves and how we see things uh, both spiritually and spatially. All of that has an impact on how we were put together in terms of what our chambers we own and our body. We have two halves. We have organs that are on one side of our body that are not on the other side of our body. We have an intestinal system that's got a narrow, narrow pipe to it on one side and a larger pipe on the other side. Uh, we have a, a hemisphere on the left side that loves to be responsible for, for communication and language. Well, the other one does something completely different with logic and thinking. Uh, you know, our basal ganglia is not even symmetrical. The, the very structure itself is not symmetrical. Our brain is not symmetrical. The right side's more forward than the left side. Our actual calvaria, our brain. Um, so we have these things that are, are not the same on both sides. But the thing that probably, Christina, Christina, most important to remember is we have an autonomic nervous system that cycles through, every, you know, many, throughout the day. You know, every so many minutes, you know, the way you breathe through a nose or cannot. And that sympathetic and parasympathetic system is definitely an asymmetrical system. And so when you look at the central nervous system's asymmetry and the autonomic nervous system's asymmetry, you start to you start to have these uh, periods of time in your life where you get either anxious or not anxious, or you breathe or you don't breathe, or you or you poop or you don't poop, or, you know, there's so many reasons why these things are occurring that relate to patterns, you know, oscillatory patterns that have to alternate. And you mm -hmm. have, that's why we were given these by have shells that we own. And if we don't alternate, we, we, we lose the benefit of what's different on the other side. We have the other side different for a reason than our, than the ipsilateral side there. That's for a reason. And that alternation gives us the ability to experience. Otherwise, we would be nothing but an AI machine. We mm. would be computerized. It would be, you wouldn't move. You wouldn't be taking risks. And people who have a difficult time doing that, taking risks, are probably locked up. They probably don't have the ability to take advantage of that dissymmetry. And I said take advantage of it because they don't know how to get there and get back safely. So introceptively, and more importantly, how we use our limbic system on what makes us feel good and not good. Some of us like to paint. Some of us like to kick soccer balls or some of us like to build houses with hammers. Whatever we have going on inside of our brain is all a result of how our body experienced and emotionally connected to those two sides of asymmetry. And that's just a global response. But everything I said is a fact. There's, mm -hmm. There's so much asymmetry in the body. I think one of the most disappointing things that you and I went through in school was we didn't get that. Mm -hmm. We didn't get a, a, a chapter on a shoulder saying on the left shoulder, you remember you got these things that are, are influencing it, while on the right shoulder, you got nothing but air underneath of it. You know, we didn't get those things. We didn't get those correlations. So that's what's, that's what's so neat about biology. There's so much there that has been defined for us Britannica has done a great job. Google's done a good job. But the application is still skewed because there's not enough of this discussion on integrative activity. The last thing I want to say is I love our programs in this world. We've got programs on dentistry. We've got programs on optometry. We've got programs in podiatry. Unfortunately, those programs never talk to each other. Mm -hmm. But if they would, they would quickly be able to answer your question. What's the uh, intrinsic 
activity of asymmetry. You would quickly know it because you would take those worlds and you would say, oh my gosh, they're seeing exactly what I'm seeing, but through a different lens. And that's why I think this, that, that's what I really wanted uh, this, you know, this uh, institute to be able to provide. So we look at cultures and we look at multidisciplinary cultures. And I try to get as many people to be open-minded about things for that very question you just asked. Mm-hmm. So important and such a foundational understanding, which you're right, none of us got in any of our programming in school. Um, I love, before we started the recording, I love you actually, you mentioned the rivalry between our hemispheres, between our right and left hemisphere, which uh, is happening all the time. And so when these internal asymmetries that are helping to keep us in balance and helping us to have alternation, when they start to show up externally on in the outside, yeah. uh, what are some of the ways in which they start to show up externally? That's a really good question. And I, and I, I think your uh, listener appreciated that a lot. You know, I, the most obvious one, and I'm going to just, I'm, when people listen to me, they think, okay, that must be the most important one. No, none of them are more important than any other. But the most obvious one to anybody who's listening to this, this discussion would be shoulder height. When you see a shoulder lower on one side than the other, that's a pretty good indication that the structure itself is not, not pressuring uh, correctly. You're not pushing and pulling correctly. Your neurology associated with that then puts in, puts in a slant to other things. Your mouth may be at a, a canted level. Your visual system may not be horizontally like you like to have it. You can look at necks. Necks tell you a lot. Usually necks are not you know, clothed up. You can look at a, the musculature on the right side of the neck will be very prominent usually than the musculature on the left side of the neck. Mm-hmm. You can look at the individual's body language when they walk. The right arm may be moving more forward than the left one, uh, or the left one may be moving more uh, backwards or retroly than the right one. You look at the gait itself, the actual forward locomotor sequencing of movement. Some people don't ever heel strike. Some people only push off with their toes. Some people look like they're limping. Uh, some people have a real difficult time with just uh, not only turning their neck and their head, but actually turning their body from one direction to the other. Where do they put their center of mass? Uh, if you look closely, they like to talk to people. They like to type text when they're on their right sit bones or right foot bone. Uh, so those are some of the most obvious ones. The biggest one, Christine, is the forehead posture. Mm-hmm. You see so many people today because of a, because of what we do with our computers and our tablets and our phones, there's so much of this coming to a much higher degree than 35, 40 years ago when I started out with this thing called, uh, you know, forwardness of the head. Or how about this one, backwardness of a body, you know, that's mm-hmm. not really generating good upright structural uh, alignment. So those would be some of the things that come off right away. I think, you know, the, 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 if you get in one more little detail here, if you get into the rib cage or the thorax, you're always going to see a set of ribs a little higher one side than the other side uh, or lower one side than the other side, because that's, that's twist. That's outward scoliosis. That's not a spinal curvature. It is a spinal curvature. No question about it. But it didn't start with the spine. The spine are blocks. They're sitting on each other. 
those blocks were directed by airflow and pressure management and gradients of neurology. And what we really want to drive and crave ourselves toward versus not. So we're, we're, we're experiential people. Our biology runs our, our uh, orthopedic management of our body. It's not the other way around. It's our interest and our level of generated activity between those two sides. It's not even when it becomes a rivalry problem. Then you see these curvatures, you see these cants, you see these lowering and raising, and you see this asymmetry. And if you look for it, if you if you really look for it, you'll see it. And you'll see it from one individual to another individual, regardless if you're ectomorphic or endomorphic, regardless of what you are, regardless even of what you do. There's some general characteristics of that human patterning going on that's pretty consistent because we all live on this planet. We all have one G on us and we all are going to react to it regardless of how we're built in somewhat neurological, uh, neurological similar way. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to condense it. I hope that helped. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I'd, I'd love to, you had mentioned that forwardness of the head and backwardness of the body. Um, and with that, I'm going to stray a little bit from the questions that I sent you because something that was so so important and what I have learned from you. And I think what is so incredibly important for the demographic that is listening to this podcast is the understanding of the posterior mediastinum and that this aspect of our rib cage and of our thoracic cage is really important. And a lot of times in voice lessons, we're actually coaching someone to flatten that. And so I'd love to just have you talk about the posterior mediastinum a little bit. And Uh, we could do a podcast on this. (laughs) Just on that. I know. (laughs) You've got, you've, you've, uh, you've uh, nurtured me there with that. The, 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 the uh, mediastinum or the, 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 the space inside of your chest wall, I'll leave it at that for the listener. Uh, We, we, when we rotate, when you take a, a, a body, a tube, a, a tube, a cylindrical tube, and you twist it, Christine, that parts of that tube are going to move back while the other parts are moving forward. Some are going to move to one side while the other ones are following it. So that axial grid that we're on when we start to rotate is a good thing. It becomes a bad thing when you stop going to the other side. And there's reasons for that. Now, most humans have this uh, plumbing on the left side of your body. It's you've got a heart over there. You've got lymphatics over there. You've got a lot of plumbing on the right side of the body. You've got a, you've got a, uh, so you've got a space. You've got Mars and Venus and just <laughs> nothing space over there. And that space, it's, it gets it gets pushed backwards with time, with life. And when it gets pushed backwards, the head has to go forward. And since the space part of your thorax is going back into the right, your head thinks it has to balance that that activity out by going forward into the left. Now you got all this muscle in your body that's getting your lower body, excuse me, your uh, mid bodies over to the right. We call that orientation. And your head neck now reacting to that or rotating to the left. And so that pattern is really easy 
to manifest. It's very easy. And if you don't do things to keep yourself alternating, that pattern will become a restricted positional issue for you. Mm. And now your aches and pains are probably somewhere, including your voice box regulation, pressure management related to that mediastinum. So it's really important for us to understand you don't have two, you don't have uh, one spine. You've got two, a right side and a left side. And the rotation of that spine itself is reflecting what the brain wants out of your body's mass position. And mm. so the mediastinum is an area of your body that's right between the ground you sit on or stand on and the, the air that's going through the nose and the ears and the mouth. And so that midsection of your body is really where it's happening. It's happening from both the pressure that you're managing from the floor up and the position that you put yourself in by, by pushing you or pulling you from the top down. And that, that's a, about as brief as I can make it. And if you knew me for listeners that know me, uh, trust me on this, we put you know three or four primary courses just on that discussion. And it's, an, it's something that wouldn't it be wonderful though, Christine, if people understood the air compressors of our body better, you know, mm-hmm. the, the actual tires we own on how we have these old pressure tire gauges in our car that says your right tire needs 10 more PSI <laughs> to it. Uh, wouldn't it be great to see if, if, you know, we wore our glass and it said, oh, your right lung needs a little more help today than the left posterior one or vice versa. That management of that activity is all done by our brain that over time says, you know, we have a car that wants more pressure on the side, less pressure on the side. And until you show me what are the advantages of getting that car to run down the road more more in a straight way, I'm not going to change. Mm-hmm. And that's what we try to get people to recognize is how to manage those ribs. And I know talking to you, I know you understand that with your history. So that's a big part of voice, hearing, sight, chewing, swallowing, running, etc. How do you manage that mediastinal pressure? Mm-hmm. And I definitely want to get into the conversation of pressure. Before we do, let's kind of start at the foundation of pressure, because I want to talk about the respiratory diaphragm. Again, obviously something that my listeners will be yeah. very interested in hearing about. You yeah. have a wonderful webinar that I believe is is available on the PRI website and might also be available on YouTube um, about alternating diaphragms. And I think something that so many people don't think about is this right hemisphere, left hemisphere diaphragm. I think a lot of the voice teachers will talk about the costal, the respiratory Mm -hmm. and the choral, the stability, and that it's working concurrently, but they don't understand how it, it should continue to alternate. And exactly what you were just talking about, about the brain is going to say, but if you're, if you're not sending, if you're not sending me this information, why should I continue to alternate? Um, So I'd love to talk about these asymmetries within the respiratory diaphragm, this right and this left hemisphere, and how the costal portion and the choral portion are also in alternation. Yeah, boy, again, a wonderful discussion for your, for your listener to hear. We have this uh, this costal fiber on both sides that w- that has to allow your rib cage to expand 
both to the sides and front and the back when you take a breath in. So when your diaphragm contracts, it pulls, it sucks in the air through your, uh, you know, your pharyngeal region and it moistens it, warms it, gets it in that, exchanges, it gets it down there in that lung so it can exchange gas. That, ex- that exchange and that flow, that flow all requires freedom to move. And the muscle that is larger and more responsible for that freedom is your right thoracic diaphragm. It's a lot larger than your left. Your left thoracic diaphragm uh, doesn't have an organ under it called a liver. So its dome is a little bit smaller, all by design, all by design. So many of us are right-handed. We can be left-handed, but many of us are doing things that are naturally by design. It's like Schuster and Simon again. How do things work? So when this diaphragm on the right side contracts, it, it naturally will open your lungs up a little bit better than the one on the left. It's got more power. It even has an extra vertebrae or two that its crua fibers attached to than the left side does. Well, that makes uh, makes your world of support for your bridge a little bit more stable on the right side. When you hit the ground, you're a little bit more able to push that air out on the right side because you've got a stronger support system on that right side of your spine than you do on your left. The abdominals on the left have to work pretty doggone hard to keep the opposing muscle that, that it's working with, the diaphragm. The abdominals oppose the diaphragm. It's active on the left side, so it can do its share of function, especially when you start twisting or rotating your body to the right while you're standing on your left leg. So that rotation is totally dependent upon not your glutes necessarily, not your abdominals. It's totally dependent upon the fluidity, the fluidity and the flexibility of flow that's created inside your chest wall. Because if that becomes restricted, you become restricted. So the pressure that you produce and the pressure that we, we, we use is really coming from these, these two uh, parts of this anatomy of the diaphragm itself, uh, the attachment to the spine and the attachment to the rib cage. They work in unison with each other. So that's the why your diaphragms of your pelvis, the diaphragms of your urogenital region, the diaphragms of your of your eye, you have diaphragms all over your body, diaphragms in the uh, right on the top of your apical structure, your thorax, the diaphragms everywhere in your body are always going to move in accordance to where you can move with those thoracic diaphragms in cooperation with the pelvic floor diaphragm for pressure management. So the costal fibers, to get back to your question, your answer, the costal fibers are generated, are your, they're your, your they're your part of the brain that says explore, uh, you know, create, uh, take risks, gesture, you know, speak, uh, sing, project. You know, pull back, do do some things people are willing to pay to go watch. In other <laughs> words, act, do it, do it, do something that's kind of cool that your body and your brain likes to do. Where the crua part of the diaphragm is the one that's giving you the stability for that. It's the one that connects the two legs to your spine. It's the one that says, you know, everything starts right here, T8 through T12. This is or T12 down to L1. This is the area where I'm going to regulate that function 
by allowing you to do whatever you want to do above with that flow and that freedom, that chest management, that neck operation, the, 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 the centric activity of neutrality for your neck, it's all got to be generated by the balance between the left side of the lumbar thoracic spine and the right side by your crua diaphragm. That crua tissue attaches directly, not indirectly, to muscles called the psoas. And those muscles are hip flexors. So when you cough, you flex your hip because you need that opposition to get that air out. So those reflexes and those, those movements that keep your crua activity uh, stabilized or, or uh, in a position where they can stabilize you allows you to do some remarkable things. Swallow while you talk. Eat socially and not choke. Uh, uh, make high pitch and low pitch with your arytenoids of your, of your throat. Uh, keep your ears, the tympanic diaphragms of your ears, in a place where they can resonate more freely. That's really why that question is so big. It's it, the crua and the, the crua and the costal fibers are your resonators of your organs, uh, your resonators of your instrumentation of your body. The musical instrument you have sounds the way it does. It does what it does, produces what it does because of those sites of that diaphragm. Mm -hmm. And so it's, that's just touching a little bit of it, but it's not just a respiratory system. Unfortunately, when you forget how to alternate from side to side, one side becomes more a respiratory system, i.e. your right side, and the left side, it's crew and costal fibers become more of a postural, a more stabilizing system for the right-sided activity. Uh, and that's, that's really the concern that I have when you start to see patterns. It begins with the neurology associated with the crua and the costal fibers. Mm -hmm. mm. So I think that's so profound and so important for us as professional voice users and as instructors of the professional voice yeah. to understand and that people can get stuck in that pattern of staying up over that more costal right and that more quarrel left and just yeah. kind of getting locked there. And I've seen um, very, so many different performers get to a point where they'll start trying to uh, kind of slacken their accessory breathing muscles, their scalene, the, you know, the, everything that's happening up around the neck. So scalene, the clavicle, the um, subclavius muscles that are just kind of pulling in and compressing there. And they're trying to slacken it in, in every way. And this is where they're going for their high note. And I'm like, just get over your left Exactly. So just rotate a little bit to your left and you won't have to do all of that extra work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the tissue over time, as you know, your, you know, your world of myology is strong. So, you know, this over time, things get short and they get tight. And some of those muscles need to be lengthened out manually uh, or through some type of activity, exercise or technique work. But we call that the brachial chain, the area that where you had your hand, Christian, and that brachial chain is always more, that's another pattern, is always more restricted in the human, more so than less. You could be an Olympian, which I've worked with many, and they still have the same issues. Mm -hmm. um, they still have the same problems. Um, things like to get a little tighter and a little bit more 
uh, neurologically restricted for reasoning that gives them a, 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 a benefit. It gives them a it gives them a little heads heads up type thing, a little momentum that they didn't know they had until they got it tighter. So there's a lot you have to overcome when you get to that level. But again, on a preventative note, this would be the preventative note of this discussion. Keep your brachial wall, keep your right side opened. Keep your right chest wall free. Um, that's just a, you know, a bumper sticker that says, you know, you know, can you, can you breathe in your right apical lung? Can you, you know, I had, uh, can you adduct your left side of your body? Can you get into a position where your, your right arm is really capable of reaching way above your head like your left one? So these, these are things that people can do. We put a, we have this little guide out. If you contact, if you go to the website, you can see this living, you know, with PRI guide, and it goes over all these simple little things that you can learn how to do by just daily mindfulness of what to be aware of. Uh, that really, you can get into the science and the research that supports all that. But if you're just mindful of some of these basic things we're talking about today, you know, it, these little things will ward off things way later on in life that you don't even know is coexisting until the symptomology starts to talk to you. Mm-hmm. So thanks for opening that door. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, I think part of that too is that I think you and I both primarily are rehabbing people. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we get, by the time someone comes to us, something has happened. Yes. And it's it's challenging because a lot of positional drills that are going to help people to be able to have this shape change and alternation that is necessary for our gait cycle, for our respiratory function, Mm -hmm. for our singing. Um, These drills are so incredibly important. But the thing is, is that they're slower. They have breathing at the foundation. And people are like, I just want to load my body and I want to work out. And I don't, you know, like, yes, but if especially for singers, if we are adding compressive load without the ability to come back to having some kind of expansion, we're doing ourselves a disservice because we have to be able to come to that expansion and shape change when we are actually performing. So it's it's challenging when we're working with a demographic that is not needing rehab. Right. To understand the absolute right. importance of doing these positional drills and having the breath be at the foundation and why we're doing these things so that we can help them not get into the point where that a, that external asymmetry becomes a problem and starts to create pain or even injury. You're so right. And, you know, I, uh, I admire again for that, just that insight it's the little things like uh, watching people use their your their lips, their bilabial you know pressure, uh, making plosives, you know, mm-hmm. being able to blow up balloons. You know, how do they use a straw? Can they even operate a harmonica? You know, it's it's the things that you do to regulate flow, which is what you just talked about. Mm-hmm. If we would have a deeper respect for function related to management of flow. We would have less patellofemoral pain. We would have less hip degeneration. We would have less back problems. Mm. Uh, more importantly, we would live a little bit uh, with more freedom with our chest walls as we get older. 
there and our eyesight and our visual capacity and our ab- ability to understand you know space around mm-hmm. us all is re- is is ma- is what you just got through talking about flow you know mm-hmm. just making sure that people see the correlation with that early on in life it's not aerobics it's not anaerobics it's how you can use both in worlds that re- really don't require extremism from either we just need to be modulating that and modifying it with this this world of like you said earlier alternation and maximizing flow mm-hmm. and so what you see going by you what you feel going in you what you see coming to you and what you feel coming out of you is what we're talking about today mm-hmm. and that all starts with generation of how you get it in and how do you get it out and if you're twisted and you can't get it in without going into a direction to get it in, mm. and you can't get it out without going into a bigger direction to get it out, that push-pull of flow, that push-pull of movement, is now generating a host of problems. And I mean a host of them. And this is where it touches the disciplinary um, mindfulness, your teeth and your sight and your hearing and even just the things you do with your digits of your fingers and your toes. Uh, are all related to this discussion. And it's it sounds like a uh, you know a cosmic thing that some alien put together. It's it's not. It's pretty simple. It's a pretty basic system if you appreciate how it all works together. Again, around this regulation of management of what you do every day with flow. Mm-hmm. And to the listeners, it it might look simple. It is yeah. not easy. These drills are not easy. When you start asking areas of your body to start gaining some motor control, uh, you're shaking, your body's really feeling it. So Uh, very, very rarely do I get through a week or two where I don't see someone collapse or, you know, lose senses for a few seconds or very rarely. That's not a bad thing. It's just, it's just, yes, it's hard for your body to re-regulate, but it, it can. And depending upon the condition we're talking about or talking someone talking to somebody about, uh, everybody's different. You know, some people can get through this pretty easily. Some people, you know, are going to work on it for the rest of their life. But they at least have something that's positive. They have some hope. They have some direction. And better yet, they have control. They don't need, you know, they're not taking, a, you know, a pill for this. They have some control over it. And there's a there's usually a relationship that is tangible. It's like I can sense it. I can feel it. I understand it. And more importantly, I can tell when I'm not where I want to be. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, without that, it's very difficult, very difficult to get through some of this, some of these patterns that have been around for a long time. Yeah. And you just mentioned some people are just going to have to continue to do it. I am one of those people that have to continue to do it. I had surgery for pectus escavatum when That's I was 15 and a half. Uh, so I had four inches of the costal portion of my ribs, um, 12 of my ribs removed. The yeah. sternum had completely rotated 90 degrees, so was wired and rotated back. And then the xiphoid process was 
removed. So I very early in my life was in a very deep, what's considered at postural restoration, an LAIC pattern, left anterior inferior chain pattern, which I continuously and will until I am no longer here in this body have to work against because my body naturally continues to want to go into that pattern in that direction. And so I try to give it and bring it to where it, I meet it where it is and I take it where it's not. Yeah. <laughs> and so I so appreciate obviously all of the drills and this fine, really challenging <laughs> yet what appear to be simple drills to yeah. help me manage that and continue to be able to alternate my body. So Those paths of least resistance are when I put these techniques together, you're referring to, um, are challenging, but they're challenge. They, they, there's different levels real quickly. So mm -hmm. just to blow up a balloon while you stand on the left leg and uh, move an arm out to the side to, for right expansion, uh, little things like that sound easy, but you, you're so right. They are very difficult to do. But for the listener out there, it's not like it's not like you're going to be. Uh, you know, uh, chopping wood, it's, it's, it's just, it's difficult to get all of your systems, all of your, your, uh, uh, systems of your body that are responsible for blood flow and gas regulation and hormonal, uh, input, whatever you're, whatever you want to talk about, all of them are impacted by that position you're putting yourself into and then doing two simple things that are very complex to the human body. Inhale and exhale at the right time. Mm -hmm. And those positions can be so have such an impact on your life. So I just want to break it down a little bit for the listener to know, you know, it's not like you're going to go home with, you know, how to put a, you know, a child's dollhouse together. Uh, it's it's really a very basic way of looking at it, but then you incrementally can get be challenged even more as time goes on as you break down that resistance that that you've built up over the years, and uh, it all has to start with with what you said earlier, uh, thoracic expansion. You know this this costal work, uh, this this respiratory function. Mm -hmm. You had mentioned as we were talking about the respiratory diaphragm, our other diaphragms in the body. And uh, to the listeners, if you haven't checked out some of the conversations I've had on the diaphragms, I usually talk about seven. So you could go back to those yeah. central line diaphragms. But I'm talking about central line diaphragms. But again, we have diaphragms throughout the body and that are not central line. Yeah. But if we're talking about many manual therapists will talk about fives or some uh, yep. talk about seven. So if we're talking about these nice central line diaphragms, so within the cranium, the soft palate, the mylohyoid region, the superior thoracic aperture, mm -hmm. respiratory pelvic, your genital, if we're talking through these diaphragms, obviously if one diaphragm is having to alternate, they're all having to alternate sure. because we're talking about pressure and pressure impacts all of these diaphragms. So I'm curious as we come through our gait cycle, how are these diaphragms alternating? We don't breathe. That's a very good question. We don't breathe in synchronesis with how we move. We can move, Christine, to the right or left, squat, reach up, and our breathing is going to be not that impacted. 
when it becomes impacted is when you when you move in a restricted pattern. Now your breathing becomes more synchronetic. Mm. In other words, you have to breathe in a certain certain position at a certain time. It's like having a stoplight saying, don't go now, you're going to get hit. Mm. So our body is really built off of free this freedom from all these diaphragms that are helping you regulate this pressure management. Now, I love the fact that you love these seven diaphragms, and I just loved it when I saw it. They're all they're all flexible little, you know, uh, vibratory uh, sheets, if you will, that have some reason. They're 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 septums. They they have some reason. They either move towards or, or they move either away from or back to that resting place. That's for absorption of shock, absorption of gas, absorption of fluid, absorption, absorption, absorption of organs. So that those diaphragms are actually accommodating other diaphragm activity in the body, just like our pelvic floor diaphragm and our thoracic diaphragm. When we breathe in on one side, our pelvic floor will descend on that side. Our dome of our diaphragm will also descend. But can you imagine taking a breath of in when you breathe in on one side and the pelvic floor that's descending is on the other side? Mm. That discord is now making it very, very hard for all the other diaphragms to seal or to actually flutter. They're all a little elongated or shortened on one or two sides. They're all going to be in a constrained state. Uh, one of those areas that really you see this is what you said is this right underneath the chin, your mylohyoid region. Uh, you see this whole larynx being pulled up, the head's going forward. And all that muscle tissue inside that anterior neck is not only being strained because the position the hyoid is in, the mandible's in, and the chest wall's in, oh. but on top of it, you've got diaphragms below it that are starting to figure out how to regulate this pressure dynamics in a straight in a state of constraint, oh. a state of, uh, of imbalance. And that's why it's difficult to put your head around this, but inside of our body, we have these tears. I call them, you know, these, these, these uh, coils that basically are rotating on each other. All those seven diaphragms have to rotate on each other. If you say left, one will say right below it and above it. If you say right, the one below and above it's going to have to go the other way. Otherwise, you will fall. And not only will you fall, you won't breathe. You will twist yourself to death. So there's this constant movement going on between these diaphragms that are not just up and down, or forward and back, but are going from side to side on each other, mm -hmm. which is what's the beauty about pressure regulation. We don't have to wear support socks for that. We don't have to be pushed your your myologist. You don't have to push fluid up for that. It's naturally valved by these diaphragms. That's called flow. Mm -hmm. And so the more alternation and unrestricted reciprocation we have, the better off all these diaphragms are going to work with each other. It's always like, okay, what diaphragm are you working on? And if you're a chakra person, you might be working on them. The reality is you're working on it, but the reality is what really is what really needs to be done is the need to relieve the other, the other meridians. You need to relieve them because they're really the ones that are really suffering. It's oh. not this one you're working on. It's all the other ones that are either taking up the slack, 
have taken up too much slack or have no slack at all. Mm. So I love discussions like this when it comes to the diaphragms because arms will swell up, necks will get puffy, eyelids will get puffy, cheeks will get a little bit out. You know, you're just you're just collecting. We're collectors of fluid and we're collectors of non-flow activity. And unfortunately, that was not how we were put together. Mm. And again, it all again starts with that pressure management by those diaphragms. Mm-hmm. So pressure management. Yes, let's come into pressure management of these diaphragms. So talking about pressure management, and we have our intra-abdominal pressure, building and managing Mm -hmm. our gut pressure. We have intrathoracic pressures, interpulmonary pressure, Mm -hmm. and intrapleural pressures. And we have subglottic pressure, and we have intracranial pressure. Mm -hmm. And these pressure uh, systems or areas all have a relationship with each other. Our body, the human body is a pressure canister. So if you don't mind talking to us more about. Oh, I would love to. And again, I I just, I I hope the listener knows that, you know, this, this stuff is is so exciting for me to have someone like you ask, because you don't get asked like questions like this every day. The game of life is the game of pressure management. You know, we have a we have a ground. We were put on the ground for a reason to produce push so that we could do something on the other side. Pull. That's why we were put in this. That's how we designed. No, that's how we were designed on the planet we're living to become upright and develop our brains. So push, pull. And when you look at when you look at um, uh, intra-abdominal pressure, and you look at intracranial pressure, and you look at intrathoracic pressure or pulmonary pressure, the one system that most people forget about, Christine, I know you don't, or, you know, Chris, your partner that you work with in movement, uh, for movement for singers, don't, I know you guys realize this, the one valve that really regulates the floor, the pulmonary, the pulmonary structures, pressure in general, is this called the larynx. And the larynx has uh, a, a fold, these two folds that have to communicate with each other. They have to come together. They don't have to come together for you to talk. Of course they do. They don't have to come together for you to be a singer. Of course they do. They don't have to come together so you can swallow correctly. Of course they do. But they have to come together to regulate pressure in all of the areas you just talked about. They have to come together. Otherwise, when you push, there's no resistance. And you'd push it out, and you you wouldn't be pushing it against anything. So your larynx keeps us humans. It keeps us on the floor. Our larynx keeps our arms capable of going over our head because it keeps air underneath the scapula. Without, our arms keep our lungs, our, our little pleura cavities, our little are the vessels that I talk about in those webinars expanded without that larynx and the hypopharyngeal region, all pressure would be gone. Mm-hmm. And so we really need that regulatory function by how we operate our necks. Where is the neck? You know, the, it's a, it's an important thing when you talk about pressure management. So when we get into those discussions, the first thing that I remind people is, it's another bumper sticker. Where is your neck? My neck is neutral as yours. Because if your neck oh. isn't neutral, you'll turn your head in one direction and you'll have better pressure. You can say, you can recite things without even having to take a breath in. But you can go the other way and it's just a wispy little 
you know, you can barely get, get it out and get it back in because there's no pressure management. So those kinds of individuals that actually have to gesture with for pressure management have a difficult time balancing out their hypopharyngeal region mm-hmm. for pressure management, for pressure management of all the areas that you just went over. There is nowhere else in the body you can manage pressure. You can't do it through the pelvis. You can't do it through your umbilicus region or your, you know, your diaphragm that's below or above the stomach. The only way you can regulate that, once you get a body in a position where it's in a neutral state and it can move around like it should, the only way you can take the baton and continue to carry it is you got to be able to be a left cortical thinking individual. Language, speech, chewing, communication. And that's all done through that voice box region that we talked about earlier. That's, that's the thing that I love to your listeners to understand. You're not just working with singers. You're working with singers now that are going to see better and sense themselves better and operatively work their arms and legs better, et cetera, et cetera, because of pressure management. And Christina, nothing makes me more warm inside than to hear someone ask me about, and you did, about pressure, our central nervous system's need for pressure management. When our autonomic nervous system steps in because you have a panic attack, Mm. it's because your central nervous system is not being regulated by proper pressurization. Our autonomic nervous system comes in and says, well, I'll help you with that. I'll tighten you up a little bit. I'll give Mm. you a little bit more security. I'll give you a blanket to work on. But that's not the way it's supposed to work. That autonomic nervous system is the governor to help fine tune that activity when you really want to bring it in and when you will really want to drop it off. But when it becomes your main mode for pressure management, we've got a problem. And it usually begins in all those areas. It doesn't usually begin there. All those areas that you, you talked about, those are the sites where you're going to feel the symptomology first. Hmm. Yeah, but the reality is it starts right there with, where is the, the location of your neck? Where is the location of that pharynx? A lot of people these days talk about Christine airway today. A lot of people talk about airway today. I like talking about airway. But airway lays between the front of your neck and the spine. And mm-hmm. it, in that region, that airway, you don't want to twist it and collapse it and compress it. It needs to be managed correctly by pressure management to keep the airway expanded and open. Not only does the head come back because of the mediastinum we talked about earlier, but also because of this need for alteration and alternation mm-hmm. of that airflow that's coming right there through that only place it can come out of your body <laughs> is the vocal cords. Mm-hmm. So vocal cords to me are really big. They're, they're, they're pulmonary. They're physiologic. That makes them autonomic. And they're structural. That makes them orthopedic. So for people to not be interested in voice box management, I'm not sure what your interest is there for then on. Mm -hmm. Because the floor is not owned by any part of the body. Your eyes don't own it. Your ears don't own it. Your cerebellum doesn't own it. Your basal ganglia doesn't own it. Your arms, nobody owns it. The only thing that owns that floor the only reason why at the age of one year old you could get up and walk around is because you figured out you had a voice box. Mm. And until you figure that voice box out and figure out how to manage that pressure, you're a, you're really a slave to gravity. 
So I, again, I love talking about it. I love you asking about it with your history, with your background, the way you got where you're at. There's a relationship between that chest wall and singers and voice. And this is the big one. This is the big kahuna right here. So I admire what you do. I appreciate what you do. We need more of you out there re regulating uh, pharynxes through pattern, pattern is patterning activity that allows you to alternate so you can do anything you want without worried about synkinetic breathing. Mm. In other words, breathing with one side only in only one position to sing, to project or to bring air in at night when you sleep. It's mm. so important. It's so important. So important. Oh my gosh. That was so incredible to hear. And I, I have my balloon because when we talk <laughs> about the larynx, <laughs> when yeah. we talk about the larynx, we, this is not what we have. The larynx is rigid. It's rigid for a reason yeah. and yeah. the rigidity of it. And it continues to ossify as we, some of the cartilage of the larynx continue yeah. to ossify from our thirties to our sixties, 65 ish. Yeah or so because we're continuing to be up against gravity. We're bipedal. Yeah. So it's such a, an amazing design of the human yeah. body for this pressure management. Your first two fingers, that thumb and that, that, that those first two that's, that hold the neck of that balloon. Let's say that would be my neck. What you've got are these two adductors, those two laryngeal adductors that are squeezing that neck. So you can hear when you let the balloon, when you let up on those two fingers, you're gonna hear a noise. And that noise is pressure management. That's your voice box. That's your auditory system hearing mm -hmm. a, you know, a speech, a pattern, a, a noise that's so essential to, that makes who you are who you are mm -hmm. so that control of those two car of those two cartilaginous muscles you're right are rigid and they need to vibrate and they need to be strong enough to slow that flow or move that flow open or close that strength is lost when your neck becomes twisted when your thorax becomes twisted and more importantly, when the mass that you're holding up becomes only mindful of a unilateral side. So tying all that together, showing that balloon, being able to blow up a balloon and put your tongue and seal your oral pharynx so your nasal pharynx can then open up and allow you to bring that air in through your pharyngeal region, hypopharyngeal region, without without taking your finger off that balloon, that's huge pressure regulation. Mm -hmm. And I love talking about it because a simple thing like a balloon can have a major impact on what we're trying to do with opening and closing and opening for this, uh, this uh, you know, uh, chamber that has to move in and out with its, with its, uh, with its two chambers. So I, I, I love talking about it, as you can tell. I hope that made some <laughs> sense, Christine. Yeah. But I, I also want to just comment on the fact that you're one of the very few people I've talked to in life who have that much energy, that much excitement about this thing called the voice box, because mm -hmm. that to me is really critical. You know, it's one of the last few courses I did in my life because I really had to get people to understand 
all the relationships that are associated with it. Mm. And, and if you can understand how the body normally should work, Simon and Schuster, then when you get to the reality of this, it all starts with neurology of how you sound and how you make that sound. Mm-hmm. And I love in a course that I've taken with you, Voice Box, how you discussed the importance of hearing that in your retraining. So as we're moving someone through movement drills and as I'm building a course actually for people with vocal cord dysfunction, uh, bringing in that aspect of having them vocalize to hear their voice and the retraining of the voice and how it's working. If we just have them go through a drill and without any voicing, they don't know that it's working. Yeah. Once we add that voicing and they hear their voice in a new way to repattern it. Oh, it's. I love you. I love you. <laughs> it's just now we're going to uh, we're going to another level. We're almost in the dark hole now because laryngeal asymmetry. And there's much research on this. Objectively, we'll continue to be oriented in direction, usually to the right. If that if that auditory process, which is also asymmetrical, is not re-steered in terms of how did you produce it, what position were you producing it in with your neck and your body, and then how did it sound to you? Did that sound different? Was that you? A lot of us don't even like to listen to us talk. We don't like to hear hear our recordings because it doesn't sound, because I'm not actually talking while I'm listening to it. Mm -hmm. But if I was talking while I'm listening to myself, uh, if I was talking and listening, I have no problem because I'm talking, I'm making that noise and I can understand how that resulted in that speech. But the accordions that we have are, are not meant to be replayed back. So when you go back and just don't talk, now listen to your speech, your accordion's going, oh my gosh, next thing you know, you're holding your breath, you're not even breathing Mm-mm. because your neurology that made that is no longer functioning. Mm. We, you have those, that's called dysphonia. And you have people out there all the time that cannot process both audition, the, the actual speech, and then the, the actual acousis of listening to themselves. Audition is both. Mm. And that's why singers are fun because singers love to sing. They'll mm. sing when they don't even have to sing because they feel more relaxed. They feel that they, feel that they are present. But if they listen to someone else sometimes and they get involved and then you hear the recording in their voice, they're going, I know I could have sound, I could have done that better. I know that's not me. Is that really me? Some of those people don't tell you that, but they're struggling with the neurology of where do they, where are they on the ground? Mm. What produced that? What, what produced that noise? You know, the accordion they have is floating in the air. The accordion they want needs to be on that. Mm-hmm. And so once they have that according, their music, whether they listen to it or are actually producing it, totally acceptable. Mm-hmm. So I know this is just a short circuit overview, but when you start talking about the neurology with, with, with voice, you can't separate acoustics. You can't separate the acoustic value of listening. Mm-hmm. And again, we, it's just such a cool subject to get into. I'm glad that you're mindful of it. Thank you. Uh, You had just talked about some of the patterning that we often see. And so 
one of the patterns I had already mentioned, that left anterior inferior chain, so the LAICE. Uh, I'm, I'm curious in talking about how that shows up in and around the larynx because of how mm-hmm. many laryngeas I've palpated in my career mm-hmm. and how I have felt this patterning before I even knew that there was information and research to show this patterning. And then as I mentioned before we started recording, uh, a colleague of mine had mentioned that it is estimated or guesstimated that about 80% of the population has some form of a small paresis, uh, which is a grand number. 80% of a population having some form of paresis is a very high number. And yet we also see that in our movement patterns. So how it's showing up all the way throughout the body of that right dominant rotation of that sacrum, the sternum, the sphenoid, and how it's actually showing up from the soft tissue from the sphenoid to that sternum as well, which I don't feel like is talked about as much as some of the other uh, areas of tissue of soft tissue. Well, you're so right. It's not for, for you're so right. And I applaud you for your uh, didactic thinking about a topic that most people don't even uh, have the ability to get to because of the discussion that would have to lead up to it before you got there. <laughs> and that discussion is this. There's a article that I ran across a few years ago by a guy by the name of Hirano, H-I-R-A-N-O. The title of this is called Asymmetry of the Laryngeal Framework, a Morphologic Study of Cadaver Laryngeas Laryngeas, uh, in the, in the, uh, uh, and again, again, if you just type that in, I did earlier, you'll get it. It was written back in 1989. So, but what I like about this research is exactly what you said. Uh, they found out, they, they looked at these cadavers, that the laryngeal framework, Christine, was asymmetric to a greater or lesser extent in all laryngeas. In other words, there's, there's not a single larynx out there that's not asymmetrical, is basically what we all know now. Mm-hmm. And the degree of asymmetry did not differ among different age groups or between sexes. So it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman or you're 80 or 8. There's a degree of asymmetry in all of us. In older adults, there was a directional preponderance of asymmetry. The right thyroid lamina tended to tilt laterally, whereas the left lamina showed a tendency to tilt medially. The right cricorytenoid joint tended to be located slightly more laterally posteriorly and inferiorly than the left joint. Now we're talking about mediastinums. It's mm. the same thing. The longitudinal axis of the thyroid cartilage was included was inclined to shift to the right. Now we're over on our right sides. Posteriorly against the axis of the cricoid cartilage. The thyroid cartilage as a whole tended to tilt to the right against the cricoid cartilage. Now that's the human. That's mm. not a cow or a beaver or a fish. That's the human. Now, the reason I'm bringing that article up, there are many of these research articles out there, but you got to know where to go to look for those. Mm-hmm. And when you ask me what well, how do I see that issue, uh, this compensatory mechanism for this asymmetrical framework of the hypopharyngeal region? The first thing I see, Christine, is short necks on the left side. Mm. Heads love to 
love their left shoulders, love to love their left shoulders. <laughs> as soon as I see that, I know their neck, and for that to happen, should be over to the left. Their neck really should have their head over what, Christine? To, to the right. right. Mm-hmm. They basically are put their head on a thorax that's oriented to the right. And then they took their head and moved it back over to the left, shorten up their trap on the left, and all these cervical algia patients and these headache patients and these occipital patients all have a laryngeal issue. Mm-hmm. All of them do. They all have a, a mass distribution issue over to one side. They all have an abil- inability to breathe in a non-synchonetic way. We can go over all that again. Mm. The research will tell you that. So anything that we can do to get that apical lobe expanded and get that mediastinum back on the left side and help our visual system and our vestibular system appreciate a balanced occiput on an atlas, oh my God, we might actually be able to go on the voice. You know, we may be actually noticed in our singing in church. My point is we may even want to talk more. All I'm saying is there is such a component to body language, gesturing, being heard, and being communicative Mm -hmm. as it relates to this one research article. And there are many more. Mm -hmm. So that's why when you bring this up and you said, you know, my history, I've noticed this. Well, anybody who's done any work on any human on a multiple level and kept an eye open and were willing to keep an open mind towards asymmetry would have seen the same thing. But those people are going right by you every day and you don't even know it. Mm-hmm. The position they put their, uh, their their teeth, the position they put the mandible. In this case, the position they put their head and neck. Mm-hmm. So the head and neck, there's nothing above it. The last thing we have is right here on the top of our, our calvaria. There's nothing else above it. If you start there and you just work your way down, leaning and listing are all laryngeal issues. Leaning and listing are laryngeal issues. And when you when you think about laryngeal issues, you got to think about longe- another word, longevity. Mm-hmm. So your health and your 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 ability to be around on this earth for a while is all going to be compromised if you don't take in mind leaning, listing, larynx, because those things are all problematic. They lower a shoulder on one side, they raise a shoulder on the other side. They put your head in a position to that shoulder that complements the adaptation necessary for you to deal with that restricted airflow. It's so easy to understand once you see the whole picture. And and once you understand it, you'll start to appreciate this need for things we talked about today. Man, I, I do need to be able to, you know, talk a little bit easier when I'm and not be out of breath. How about this? I need to walk without getting out of breath. So it's always about the breath and respiration. And what we were talking about as it relates to the many larynxes that you've seen, every single one that you palpated probably were being palpated a respiratory system, not directly, but you were palpating the soft tissue that reflected indirectly the respiratory restrictions that that person's under. And they don't even know it. They have no idea that they even have the problem. So we put these objective tests together to allow people, Hey, Check, can they adduct a leg? Can they extend an arm? Now check if they can get air in their rib cage on one side like they can the other. And if you start to do that, then over the years, you start to say, aha, I got to get Ron on and talk to him about why is this larynx over in this position? 
as it reflects all the things we talked about today with asymmetry. And I'm very grateful that you did bring me on for that reason. So. Yes, thank you. I think that many of us, or at least in my own personal experience and journey uh, as a therapist and as you're working with private clients in a room and you're continuing to palpate certain things, and certainly I was led to work toward uh, my, I think because of my own history, I kind of always like to start at the rib cage yeah. <laughs> and the thoracic <laughs> cavity, uh, and work my way from there. Um, but I think we can get into our rooms and start finding things, but not entirely sure what colleagues we can communicate this with. And yes. I, I think that is what was so inspiring and so exciting for me to meet you and to be introduced to your work was that you were another colleague and mentor that was talking about and finding and showing vast research of things that I had been finding and things that I had been working and working with and successfully working with. And then I was like, oh my gosh, this is why. And it's not just happening right. in my clinic and, and giving me a deeper insight into how to help that patterning even more. And so I just thank you so much, Ron, for coming on and having this conversation with me and doing the incredible work that you have done and all of the, you know, you and the Postural Restoration Institute is truly the foundation of so many of us therapists, the work that we are doing. I wish that it was the foundation of more. I hope that I can do whatever I can do to get more physical therapists and speech therapists and massage therapists and uh, all ophthalmologists, <laughs> everyone into um, understand and, and have a deeper interest in this connection and in the work that you're doing. So thank you so, so much for the work you've done, for the work that you're continuing to do and uh, for just coming on, talking with me and being in my life. I really am so grateful and so appreciative. Well, you're so welcome. And I hope, you know, I hope uh, I meet Chris someday and I hope I get to even work with you more closely in the future. I'm getting older, but I really got to tell you, meeting people like you is really what this life of mine is all about. And you fulfilled that today. So thank you so much. I'm grateful for people like you. And I'm grateful for the fact that you took the time to get a hold of us and, and allowed us to do something like this. I, I don't think anybody who's listening to this will be steered wrong. And I, I know they won't be because of the person that's sitting there interviewing me. So keep up your good work. Keep what you're doing. I mean that, Christine. You're doing some. You're doing things that uh, most people uh, don't have the ability to get to because of not only their mindedness, because but because of their inexperience. You know, they just right. don't know. You have a, you know, some of the best optometrists I've worked with uh, had scoliosis. Uh, some of the best uh, dentists I work with had, you know, teeth pulled that they didn't need to be pulled uh, or, 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 you know, uh, problems with, uh, you know, malocclusion. So when people like you exist, when you have a history like you have, and then you're devoting your life to cause and effect, mm. it means so much because you're a spokesperson for all those other people out there who may have a little bit of what you've got but they don't know where to go. They, no one's really listening. And that's why if you only know how grateful I am for that, uh, you'd understand that I'm very, very grateful for being on this podcast with you. But thank you again for inviting me. 
Thank you. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, tell your colleagues, students, and friends. Subscribe, rate, and please write a review. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook, and feel free to check out my website at www.thevisceralvoice.com for information on programs and upcoming events. I hope you join us next time for another wonderful conversation on The Visceral Voice. Mm -hmm.